Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Believers must make sure to be persuaded by the Word of God alone. Think about that. What persuades you? What persuades you? There are so many different things that get us off track. There's so many different things that get our eyes off of Christ himself. Folks, I I think as you look at this passage uh, and you look at the Apostle Paul and what he stood for and how he stood uh, so single-minded on the purpose that he was called to, on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the proclamation of the gospel of grace, it is an amazing thing to watch No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation that he was walking through, no matter who was coming against him, no matter what it was that was being said, whether he was in jail, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper, didn't matter. He stayed true to the word of God. He stayed true to the Lord Jesus Christ. He stayed true to what God had to say. And he was absolutely focused on the Lord. He certainly role modeled to us what it means to be persuaded by the word of God alone. In Acts chapter 28, verses 16, and we're going to look through verse 24 for this particular passage of it, uh, Paul is uh, arriving in Rome. He's wanted to get there for quite a long time. And God brought him there in a way that he didn't anticipate. And it's been a long journey to get there. There's been a lot of trials and tribulation on, on the way. But he's finally there. And he calls for the leading Jewish leaders, the uh, men who were part of the synagogue in Rome, uh, the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome, to come and meet with him. And we're going to look at some of the things that he speaks to them about. This is his pattern everywhere he went. He went to the Jews first. If there, didn't, if there wasn't a synagogue, he went to the river. We saw that in Philippi. And he would speak to those who were God-fearers. And he would share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He always used the word of God in order to convince, to persuade people of the truth and the reality of who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Christ. An interesting question kind of moving into this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Paul's never been to Rome. How did the gospel get to Rome? How is it that there are already believers in Rome? Let's just take a quick minute to to look at that and reflect on that. If you go back to Acts chapter 2 and you go back to Pentecost, and the moment when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers or the, the individuals that were believers there in the upper room and they began to speak in known languages, that's the word tongues there, and many people came to know Christ that day. Peter gave his first sermon, shared about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting who was there to listen In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And in verse 10, you get a list of these different places. And it specifically says, Luke records for us, and visitors from where? Rome. Both Jews and proselytes. Those Gentiles who were God-fearers who had become, in effect, part of the Jewish religion. So there were individuals there at Pentecost who clearly heard the gospel. Some of them clearly became saved, gave their lives to Christ, repented in that sense. And then they went back to Rome eventually, and then the gospel began to spread. If you remember, when we hit uh, the middle of, of Acts, 
we find Priscilla and Aquila. They had been kicked out of Rome because of a decree by the Caesar at that particular point in time. Paul met with them. They were tent makers. They had the same occupation uh, kind of by day that Paul did. And so Paul began to disciple them. And God used Priscilla and Aquila in a, a phenomenal way because they helped disciple who? Apollos. It would be kind of fun to put a quiz up here. After two years, that'd be kind of, I might do that. Some of y'all look at me like, who's Apollos? Good night. But they helped disciple Apollos, right? So we know that Priscilla and Aquila were from Rome. They had left it, but they had also gone back to it. At this point, when Paul comes to Rome, he had already written a letter to the Roman believers, We know that on his third missionary journey, at the end of it, he was spending time in Corinth, and he wrote the letter of Romans from Corinth, sent it to uh, Rome, to the believers there, and then he ended up in Jerusalem, and then he ended up being accused of taking a Gentile into the the court of the Jews, and and he went through two years of being uh, under house arrest and all the different things that we've looked at. Priscilla and Aquila, at the time that he wrote the letter of Romans, actually we're back in Rome. And in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5, we get that picture. Greet Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also, catch this, all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Whose house? Priscilla and Aquila. He goes on, he says, greet Epanetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. So clearly there were believers there. I believe Pentecost is a part of how the gospel was proclaimed to people in Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were part of that picture. There were churches that were there. Paul's wanted to come there all along. He's always wanted to get there. He wrote that in his letter to the Roman believers, the Roman epistle. And when he finally arrives, the first thing that he does is he meets with the Jewish leaders because that's his pattern. He wants to make sure that they understand a couple things. He wants to make sure that they understand that he is not speaking against Israel, against the customs of the Jewish people, and he is not speaking against the law of Moses. Those are things that he had been attacked with over and over and over again. He didn't know what had been said to them, and he wanted to make sure that they understood exactly where he stands. And that ultimately, as we're going to see, that he was proclaiming the hope of Israel to the Jewish people as well as now to the Gentiles, because the Jewish people were to be a blessing to all the nations. Warren Wiersbe puts it, this t- uh, puts it this way. He says, No doubt the false teachers had already gotten to Rome and were seeking to poison the Christians against Paul. You realize from the time of Pentecost to the time that Paul arrives on the scene at Rome, there's probably about 30 years that have taken place. 30 years. Folks, I start thinking back 30 years, and it's a different world. A lot of things have changed in my life. My wife just had her birthday yesterday. Things have changed in her life. (laughs) She's a Halloween baby. Have you ever, did you know that? She's a Halloween baby. She was literally born almost at midnight, you know. Close. 
Do you know that Wayne was a, a youth pastor at the time? I digress, but this is too funny. Um, Wayne was a, a, a youth pastor at the time, and he had his car, and he was with a youth group doing some kind of a Halloween alternative thing and had driven the bus. And when he got the phone call that he needed to come and get Diana, uh, he panicked and forgot all about his car, and he took the bus. <laughs> and he took the bus to go pick up mom. And so that's how Stephanie and mom were transported to the hospital. <laughs> when, when, it's great. when he got to the hospital, the doctor evidently looked at him and said, way to go, Wayne, way to go. That's real good, you know. One of these days we're going to get to watch hologram, DVD, super stuff. I can't wait to watch that one, you know. It's good stuff. 30 years had passed. And clearly, all along the way, there were false teachers that had come and begun to poison the message of the gospel of grace. We saw that at the very beginning of Acts when they began to go through this whole issue of the law and circumcision being a picture of that. Not only from the standpoint of coming to know Christ, you've got to do these things in order to actually get saved or... Once you've been saved, now there's things that you've actually got to do in order to prove that you've been saved. Either way, folks, that's grace plus works, and grace plus anything is no longer grace. There's nothing new under the sun. Paul's dealing with that with these individuals, and they're false teachers who are poisoning the Christians against Paul. Romans chapter 3, verse 8, Paul in writing Uh, refers to this. He says, why not say as we are slanderously reported as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. So even prior to Paul coming on the scene, when he wrote the letter of Romans to the believers in Rome, there were people on the ground there who were poisoning the message of the gospel of grace to the believers. Whether it was about coming to know Christ and the grace of God in that, or for believers, the grace of God in walking with God and what that looks like. Either way, Paul recognized that he was going to face some of that when he came to Rome. Wiersbe goes on, he says, some would accuse him of being anti-law. Others would say he was a traitor to the Jewish nation. Still others would twist his teaching about grace and try to prove that he taught loose living. (laughs) Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. Some people hear grace, and they talk about the fact that we don't have to worry about the law. We don't have to do anything. Uh, We can do whatever we want, whenever we want it. That's the loose living aspect. Folks, grace is a good and righteous boundary. Grace is the power of God in order to transform us so that his power in and through us will give us the ability to do as we should. But the other side of that is legalism. Where we've got to do all kinds of things in order to earn favor with God. Grace has nothing to do with a merit-based system. It is by God's grace that we are saved. It is by God's grace that we are being saved. It is not on the basis of what we can do, what we could do, what God expects us to do. It is not on the basis of our works, no matter what, whether it's prior to coming to Christ or after as believers walking in Christ. That's always been the attack. It always will be the attack because it is fundamental to our walk with the Lord. So this is nothing new. 
He arrives in Rome, and in verse 16, we pick up the story, right? When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. Love that picture. Uh, Clearly, he had earned a good rapport uh, with those who uh, were watching over him. He was allowed to stay by himself. He was chained. We're going to see that in a moment. But he also had some privacy. And verse 17 tells us, After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. You catch that? Though I had done nothing against our people, the Jewish people, Israel, or the customs of our fathers. I've done nothing in order to be here, to be in chains before you. Those things which have been said about me are absolutely not true. What does he say? Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. My conscience is clear. Remember what he said to the Sanhedrin? I've walked blameless before God. I wish that all of you were like me except for these chains. Why is he here? Because of the testimony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of a dispute about the law and grace. Because of his belief that the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. That's why he was here. Verse 18, when they had examined me, they were willing to release me. Because there was no ground for putting me to death. He's talking about Festus, he's talking about King Agrippa, he's talking about the whole process that he went through over this period of time where he's now finally in Rome. And the reason he's there is because he had to appeal to Caesar, which is what he says in verse 19. When the Jews objected, in other words, the Jews were objecting, I had no other alternative but to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against My nation. What he's saying here is, I haven't accused Israel of anything, and I'm not here because of anything that I'm saying negatively about Israel. I haven't said anything against the law of Moses. I haven't said anything against the customs of our people. I have talked singularly and solely about the hope of Israel. And who is that hope? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he makes this very clear. He says, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Wow. See, I think Paul was referring to the story that had brought him to this place. I think he was talking about how he had been accused of bringing a Gentile into the holy place. In Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 29, we see that. Remember the elders? had said, hey, Paul, we got a great idea. <laughs> People are saying that you're speaking against the law, speaking against Moses, so we want, you to, we want you to take a vow. And there's four guys here that we want you to help because they're also taking this vow, and we want you to go together. We want you to go down to the temple, and we want you to role model to everybody that you're not speaking against the law. Man, interesting, isn't it? Those rascally elders. 
At Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 29, when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All of it false! None of it true. And so Paul is referring to this story as he speaks to the Jewish leaders in Rome. And he clarifies for them, the real reason I'm here is I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. What a beautiful truth. You know, it's interesting to me that even Festus understood that Paul was on trial for some of the details about the law as well as the resurrection. In Acts chapter 25, verses 18 through 19, this pagan leader, this pagan Roman servant, civil servant, caught it. He understood it. It says, when the accusers stood up and they began bringing charges, these are the Jews bringing charges against Paul, not of such crimes as I was expecting. Festus is very clear here. I, I can't believe what they were saying. This isn't what they said to me in Jerusalem when I met with them. And they began to stand up and bring accusations against Paul, and, and it wasn't what I expected. Verse 19 in 20, chapter 25, he says, They simply had some points of disagreement with them about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. That's it. End of story. What were the Jews upset about? They were upset about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, wanted Paul dead. And they actually had begun to plan to make sure that he would be killed. And so Paul appeals to Caesar. And Paul, when he comes to Rome, tells the Jewish leaders, this is why I'm here. This is why I've come. Verse 21, the Jews respond to the apostle Paul. And they say to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. Isn't that fascinating? We don't know anything. We, we haven't heard from Judea. We've not received a letter about your imprisonment or why you've come. We've not heard anything bad about you. They haven't had any official or non-official communication from Jerusalem concerning the Apostle Paul. But in verse 22, we find out that the false teachers have been there. <laughs> and what they say is, we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. What sect is he talking about? Are they talking about? They're talking about Christianity. They're talking about the way. They're talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're talking about the fulfillment of the law and what Christ has done by grace, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, which we see in Ephesians, how God has brought the two into one new man so that the church, which was born at Pentecost, would now be the glory of God to the nations. Verse 23, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. How was Paul trying to persuade them concerning Jesus? Persuade means to believe in, to be convinced of, 
Well, he says, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. So they get together. They set a date. These men come in large numbers to where Paul is lodging, and Paul begins to testify to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his messiahship, the anointed one, the salvation that had been prophesied through the law of Moses and the prophets, and he takes all day to do it. I love the word explaining here, and he was explaining to them. It means to earnestly testify. When I looked at that, I thought it would be to teach. But it wasn't the idea of teaching so much as it was the idea of giving a true witness about something. It was the idea of earnestly sharing with them what God had revealed to him. Folks, we've seen this pattern over and over again. There's no way, it's not recorded here, but I don't believe there's any way that Paul wasn't sharing with them how he had been a Pharisee, how he had chased after Christians, made sure that they had been killed, thrown them into prison. He had been a leader amongst the Pharisees, and you could go check with the Pharisees and ask them because this was not done in a corner. Any one of them know that this is the case. I was trained under Gamaliel. I knew it, and you know the story. I met with the Lord on the road to Damascus because I was so zealous to get those Christians, I thought I was doing God a favor. And the Lord met with me and arrested me, so to speak, and my life was radically changed, and he called me to take this hope, this message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in immediate sense to the Jewish people, and as he went throughout, he went to the synagogues and proclaimed the gospel to them, but to the Gentiles as well. I think it's fascinating how Paul relied upon Scripture to evangelize. I think it's absolutely essential to understand that when we begin to share with people about the Lord Jesus Christ, that we let the Word of God simply say what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God is able to cut through everything. The Word of God is what changes things, changes lives, changes minds, persuades, convinces. But sadly, in verse 24, we're given this statement. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. The Grace New Testament commentary states this. In this description, Luke again gives us the essence of evangelism as persuading others about Jesus Christ on the basis of what God has already revealed in the scriptures. I think that's a fantastic statement. Do we know the word of God? We're trying to convince people about the word of God and we're trying to convince people that they need the Lord Jesus Christ, that they need him as their savior, that they need to be saved from an eternal separation in hell from Christ so that they can live with God eternally forever. Not because of works, not because of what we deserve, but rather because of what God has done for us, because of his grace, because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And as believers, if, if we are to persuade others of the truth of Christ through his word, how essential is it for each of us to continue to be persuaded by the word of God alone? What interferes with that? 
What causes our testimony to be minimized because we get sidetracked on things that ultimately really don't matter in eternity? Do we rely on our circumstances or our experiences to be persuaded about certain things versus the word? Boy, Peter had some of the greatest experiences with Christ ever, but he he said the, the word made more sure. In other words, the word of God. Even though he had been there at the transfiguration, he recognized that the word of God was more of a foundation than his experiences. How do we rely on our experiences, on our circumstances, in order to guide us and to direct us, rather than the word of God? History or tradition, things that have happened, patterns, and we jump to conclusions versus the word. And we get into the word of God and we understand what the word of God has to say. We understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday as he is today as he will be forever. How are we allowing the word of God to persuade us versus history, versus tradition, feelings rather than the word of God or rather than faith? This is what it feels like. Folks, we got to guard against that. Lastly, other people versus the word. Well, this is what they said. This is what they said. This is what they said. Therefore, you can get sidetracked off course because of what other people have to say versus what the word of God has to say. When believers are truly being persuaded, when we truly believe what the word of God has to say, when we're truly being convinced of the word and it changes our minds and therefore changes our beliefs and changes the way that we walk, what does that actually look like? Well, there's all kinds of different ways to approach this. I I put it into three. It changes our attitude. It changes our actions. Our attention stays on Christ. Briefly, our attitude, when we're truly being persuaded by the word of God and when we as believers are walking in the sufficiency of Christ and what he has to say, our attitude is transformational. We heard that earlier. When we we look at baptism, we talk about salvation. We talk about what God does in our lives. When Christ is truly reigning within our hearts, what does that look like? Believers' attitudes are absolutely different. We have love for one another, love for the Lord, most importantly. The fruit of the Spirit, we can see that in John chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 5. God's life in and through us, his love being revealed through us. We're at peace. We're at peace. When we're yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and we're walking according to his word and we're being persuaded by what the word of God has to say as believers, what happens? We're at peace. The peace of God begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's essential to understand. It goes to the point of even impacting how we say things, what we do, our activities. We begin to serve others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and following says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Puffed up conceit. But with humility 
of mind. Do you know what that phrase, humility of mind, means? It means lowliness. Lowliness of mind. A true understanding of how great God is and how small we really are. With lowliness, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. See, when we're truly people of the word and we're walking with the Lord, not only does God begin to produce uh, his fruit in and through us, which is love and all the characteristics of it, we're at peace, but we begin to look at how can we serve other people. We begin to take their interests as being greater than our own, no matter what the cost may be. But I would suggest also, thirdly, our attention stays riveted on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no matter what the circumstance may be, no matter what it is that we go through, no matter what we experience, God in us will always use the word of God in order to remind us of his sufficiency, of his strength, of his power. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How so? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We fix our eyes. On the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, no matter what culture says, no matter what it is that we go through circumstantially, no matter what it is that's said about us, no matter what it may be that we're walking through, when we're truly yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is seen in the way that we love one another. It is seen in the way that we think. It's seen in the expression of God's love and peace and joy and all those different things in and through us. It is seen in our activity towards one another and the way that we serve one another and place others' interests over our own because that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. That's who he is. And it is seen in the fact that we keep our attention utterly fixed on Christ himself. A people of the word are amazing to be around. It's amazing to walk with believers who have their focus, who have their lives utterly yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we begin to walk in what God has for us in convincing others to be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, and we use the word of God to to do that. Are we, as believers, people of the word, who are depending upon the word of God alone in the midst of our lives to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, to empower us, to give us wisdom, peace, grace, and all that the Lord Jesus Christ has to offer because we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in whom? In Christ himself. Are we experiencing God today? Are we walking in his peace? Are we walking in his grace? Are we truly people of the word yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendered and being persuaded by his word? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. 
Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.